You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Hello, hello, hello. I want to start with today's show, and we're kicking it off at a different time on this May the 20th show. But this is a quote from Zig Ziglar. You were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. Again, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win, and expect to win. I should say to be to win, because I believe we all are winners. And that's a quote from Zig Ziglar, and I'm waiting for our guests to join us I had to reschedule today's show because this is fabulous news. Had a uh, uh, my niece graduated from high school, so I went to her high school graduation, which was yesterday evening. And so for today, the guest was gracious enough to to reschedule. I am just waiting for our guest to join us this morning. But until our guest joins us, I'm going to. Always be ready, always be ready. And this is one thing I've learned, and life is definitely teaching me this time and again. You must always be prepared for change, whatever is coming. You better be prepared to deal with it. And that's a big part of success as well, or winning too, right? Being able to pivot, be flexible, being able to pivot and and, and to change because you never know what is going to happen. I almost forgot the 6 p.m. because you know what? There's another thing about winning. I got used to the routine. I normally do the show at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturday morning, 6 p.m. It was just a few minutes ago that it dawned on me, oh, I got to do, do the show. And I hope our guest has not forgotten about the time shift as well. If they have, we'll reschedule. But I'm going to treat you guys. We're going to win one way or the other today. We are going to, and I hope, I hope and pray you approach life that way yourself to where you are always prepared to pivot, to see what's going on around you, and to change as needed. If there's one thing certain in this world, that is it. And maybe our challenges seem harder or more troubling to us when we're not willing to be flexible, when we're not willing to either accept help, when we're not willing to see we need to adjust ourselves, we need to change, we need to alter our course. If we stay on the course we're going on currently, we might go drive head, just headlong into a perfect storm that could wipe us out. And if we would just shift, we could avoid that storm and still reach our destination. So that's part of winning as well, not just expecting and planning, but being being pivoting and shifting when you can practice awareness and see, I've got to make a change in my life. I need to make a change with my relationships, a change with a diet, a change with some habits that I'm in, or I will be stuck in this spot forever. So maybe that's what we come here in part to learn. And if it's something like a healing that you need, if you need a healing to move forward. I just released a new book, Hill Gorgeous, Wisdom Within You Knows the Way. I, the, the scriptures say that heaven itself is within us. We know not inside our body. That's our livers, our, our organs, our, our lungs, our, that, that, not that, inside of what we truly are. 
and what we truly are. So when we practice awareness, we can know, okay, I need to make a change. I'm stuck. I'm doing the same old thing. It's time to shift and change. So Heal Gorgeous, and that is a book of poetic writings, and it just it speaks to what you, what we all really are. we got to remember we didn't create ourselves. Remind yourself every day I did not create myself. It's the most love is self. A light love was greater than even light created created you. Just remember that and created you like itself. That is really, really, if any saving grace, what created us, what created us, what created us. Just remember that. And then begin to heal to return to that natural state. Again, and this book is in, and I'm not really talking about it to sell the book, but it's in ebook, print, and paperback. It's a short book of poetic writings, really, again, that speaks to your core, to what you really, really are, and hopefully you will start to remember because we behave, we think, and we feel based on what we think we are. And one thing is clear, through our our what we deal with psychologically, emotionally, physically, we have forgotten what we are. We have forgotten. So heal, gorgeous. Wisdom within you knows the way. And in the interim, I am going to read from Rosetta, the talent show queen. This I'm I'm, I'm shifting again. This is my first first. This is the first book series I've ever written. And, and all my entire writing, I've been writing for well over 40 years. This is the first uh, book series I've ever come out with. Years ago I said I never would. But this is a middle school book. Rosetta herself is eight years, 10 years old, 10 years old, pigtails, and she is something. Oh, my God, think of, 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 of as far as her mischievousness and her independence, I think of Pippi Longstocking, a little bit of mischievousness. You think of Dennis the Menace. And I forget the name of the character on the Partridge family. And she's not so much like D on what's happening, but she is a piece of work from that mindset. She's fun. She's she's just a wonderful, wonderful kid, and she's lively. So the, I'm reading again from Rosetta, the talent show queen. And this is chapter one. Mommy, Rosetta screamed, the ends of her two thick braids blowing up. She ran through the living room waving her report card. I did it. Linda Blay, Rosetta's mother, turned away from her painting easel. The leopard painting that she was working on was coming along beautifully. What is it, she asked. I got three A's on my report card, Rosetta screamed. Linda sprang from her chair. Well, now, she smiled. Looks like you're on the right track. Her face plumped with excitement. Rosetta ran around the living room corner. She raced inside her mother's art room, her report card flapping in the air. She yelled it up high. All that studying that I did paid off, Rosetta Beans. She hugged her mother around the waist. Wait until Jennifer sees my report card. She kissed her mother's face. Then she turned and ran out of her mother's art room. She won't be able to leave me out of all the school clubs and keep telling her buddy that I'm stupid. Rosetta, Linda tried. Don't you go showing off. It was too late. Not even two minutes passed before Rosetta plopped down on the living room sofa and picked up her cell phone. She called her best friend, Paulette. That's right, Rosetta exclaimed into her cell phone. I got three A's. I know I did almost as good as Jennifer. See, Paulette chimed. I told you all the studying that you did would pay off. Yeah, Rosetta agreed. You always know what to do. Pushing you to the, to study hard every night instead of only once a week isn't tough, Paulette laughed. I didn't do anything great. You're the one who did the hard studying. 
You just wait until Jennifer gets a look at my report card. Was that a pipe circling the A's on her report card with the tips of her fingers? Her and Miss Jennifer. Oh, Miss Jennifer, Miss Jennifer. If anybody kid you know, or you when you were a child, it was somebody you was like your arch nemesis, you might really enjoy Rosetta, the talent show queen. It said, forget about Jennifer Paulette Coates. The two of you have been fighting since elementary school. I don't care if you got straight A's for the rest of the school year, climbed to the top of Mount Everest, and ran the mile in two minutes. Jennifer would still pick at you. Paulette laughed. Jennifer just doesn't know how cool you are. Thanks, Paulette. You're my best friend for life. And you're my best friend for life, Paulette said. I love you like a sister. You and me, we're like blood relatives. Sisters! For sure, Rosetta cheered. We've been cool since day uno. Remember when we went ice skating at the rink downtown? We were, we were so little then, Paulette said. Like five or six years old, Rosetta smiled, glancing up at the ceiling, as if recalling those early memories. We had so much fun. Think we skated for a whole hour, falling down and getting back up, she laughed. On the way home, you talk your dad into pulling over and taking that injured mutt that we saw on the side of the road to the pound. I've always loved animals, Paulette. Couldn't leave that dog limping on the side of the state. Do you know that dog had a broken leg? How do you know? My dad told me, Rosetta answered, her hand going up and waving through the air. I asked him to keep calling the pound. Guess what? What? That dog found a home in less than two weeks. Go, Rosetta. You've always rooted for the little guy, and now you're getting your grades up. Thanks, Paulette. She pulled herself on closer to her ear. Now, Jennifer... Rosetta continued. She always thinks that she's a lot smarter than everyone. Miss Honoro, she's a teacher's pet. Who cares? Paulette shrugged. You're the fun one. You crack me up sometimes. Me, Gregory, Belinda, and Anil like to have fun. Miss Jackson doesn't care, though. She never notices me or anyone else in class. Rosetta groaned. She crossed her legs. But wait until tomorrow. Rosetta Pipe grinning at her report card. I'm going to class first thing in the morning and shove my report card right in Jennifer's face. The front door swung open. As it did, bits of snow blew off the porch onto the house's front entranceway and cold air blasted into the living room. It felt like someone had turned on an ice fan. Cincinnati, Ohio's December temperatures were at record lows. Rosetta's father, Robert Blay, smiled and waved to Rosetta while he walked through the living room into the art room where Rosetta's mother was painting. What's Rosetta talking about? He asked Linda after he greeted her with a kiss. Project demands at the marketing firm where he worked melted away. He was glad to be home. Linda chuckled at the question. Ten-year-old Rosetta was always up to something. It was hard for her mother to know what Rosetta what Rosetta was planning. Linda Linda figured that Rosetta made plans in her sleep. One thing one thing was certain. Rosetta Blade, two long pigtails going like fresh vine down the sides of her head was no one to ignore. I don't know, Linda answered. You know how that girl is. Well she was on her cell phone saying something about a Jennifer when I walked through the front door. He paused. Isn't that the name of the girl Rosetta got put in detention over? Remember? He said to his wife, Rosetta threatened to fight that girl two months ago. He shook his head. Rosetta never got into trouble at school until that incident. He gave his wife a telling glance. I say we find out what she's up to come dinner time. Oh, Linda sighed. Rosetta let us know soon enough. That girl can't keep a secret. She was probably on the phone talking with Paulette. She shook her head. Goodness, when those two get together. An hour later, the entire family was in the kitchen. 
Rosetta's older sister, Francine, sang Ariana Grande's hit song, Break Free, while she helped their mother cook a tuna casserole. As she sang, Francine rocked her head from side to side and filled the kitchen with sound. At the edge of the kitchen counter, Rosetta tossed a chef salad. Her father set the table while Rosetta's brother, Leroy, fed the family dog, a husky named Joe. Oh, there's a lot more coming in Rosetta, the talent show queen. Remember the fifth grade? How much fun did you have in the fifth grade? Oh, I'm trying to think of myself when I was in the fifth grade. I was going to was I at Flanagan Elementary. I think I was at Flanagan Elementary, and I was. It was a new time in life for me because we had just moved from Ohio to Tennessee. What was going on, listeners? Off the shelf, listeners. What was going on in your life uh, uh, for you uh, when you were ten years old? Now I have the the, the guest asking me a question. Let me, uh, just a minute, I'm going to go out to our guest. Yes, it's here. I don't like break-up time on the air. So hopefully you'll get a treat, another treat with our guest on. What's going on with you when you were in the fifth grade before we get our guests to come on the show? Hopefully he will be joining very, very shortly, very shortly. Fifth grade, fifth grade was a fun time, if you remember that. And in the second book in the Rosetta uh, book series, Rosetta, the talent show's queen is first. The fifth grade is going to put on their talent show, and then there's Rosetta. She's at the skate. She's at the skateboard park, and that's the latest one. And with the the weather change, hopefully, that one will really resonate with readers who love this time of year because kids love to skateboard. But not just kids; adults have a lot of fun skateboarding as well. Let me let me let me get him another way in. I, I I always try to send our guests um, ways to get into these shows, but people forget things. So here we go again. Okay. While our guest is waiting to come on today's show. I am going to, and I'm thinking, do I do another reading from a different book? I just read to you some from Rosetta, the talent talent show queen. Then the second one is her great adventure, and this is where she's at the skateboard park, her and her friend Paulette. And something happens when they go to the skateboard park where she's not really not supposed to be yet. And what happens at the skateboard park, Rosetta is just being flexible, being gracious, she turns it into a very good thing, and she does a fundraiser with her friend Paulette and some other talented skateboarders to raise money. Uh, to, and I'm not going to go any further than that, but she's she's mischievous, she's independent, she's very courageous, and she does things because of this that probably uh, you wouldn't see a typical kid do. She's the kind of person you would either think she's going to really 
do some amazing things in life, or you might think she's gonna get into a lot of trouble, but uh, she actually does something very amazing at the skateboard park. For for those of you who believe in kids and and want to encourage your children and the kids in your life to believe in themselves, I really would encourage you. And I think our guest just joined to get a copy of Rosetta's Great Adventure, and we're going to bring on our guest this afternoon. And so I just did a, a reading from Rosetta the Talent Show Queen, and now we're going to pivot, and I'm going to introduce you to our guest today who's been gracious to to agree to the reschedule because I had a, a high school graduation I had to go to. And so our special off-the-shelf guest today is Carl Beckstrand, and Carl is a college media instructor and an award-winning author and illustrator. He is also the owner of Premio Publishing. He has authored and or illustrated 27 books and wrote and or illustrated more than 60 e-books. Uh, books that he has, he writes are rich with diverse characters. That's one thing I noticed in doing the research uh, for his interview. There's a lot of diversity in the characters in his books. His books have been mentioned in Publishers Weekly, Kirkus, The Horn Book, and School Library Journal, to name a few. He is a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism from BYU and a Master of Arts in International Relations from APUS. Not sure what that is. He also has a broadcast film certificate from uh, Film A Academy. You can learn more about Carl and his publishing company at premiobooks.com, P-R-E-M-I-O-B-O-O-K-S.com, P-R-E-M-I-O-B-O-O-K-S.com. We're just absolutely honored to have Carl here with us on Off the Shelf. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Carl. Oh, hi, Rhonda. I'm so sorry to make you wait. Uh, Denise, Denise, and thank you, thank you for good to have you here with with us today, Carl. And thank you for the re- reschedule. No, I just did a earlier intro on one of my middle school books, mm-hmm. which is perfect mm-hmm. for the type type of books uh, that you also write and publish. So, just to give our listeners a little backstory on you, can you uh, tell us where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Sure, I grew up in San Jose, California, um, Silicon Valley. When I was born, it was an agricultural center, and then by the time I left for college, it was Silicon Valley, um, high-tech area. So it was kind of morphing as I grew up. Very cosmopolitan, people from all different cultures and countries. It was wonderful. And, and when you were young, what did you what did you dream of being? What did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Oh, first I think it was an architect, and then a doctor, and then a rock star. <laughs> But, okay. uh, yeah, I ended up studying journalism and really loved writing. Now, how old were you, or what happened to all these other things you wanted to be that caused you to know that you actually wanted to be a writer? Okay, well, this is not your typical writer's background, because as a child, I was not crazy about reading and writing. Um, but in the third grade, I got a chapter book that um, called Bicycles North, um, and it transported me, and I realized that books could be fun and take you to different places. But I still didn't um, plan on being a writer um, until I got to college. Basically, I took journalism because it was a short program, short program, and I wanted to get out soon. <laughs> but while I was getting the writing instruction, um, I kept getting story ideas and writing them down and setting them aside and thinking, well, when I'm old and retired, maybe I'll get a book published. Um, but, yeah, I was fortunate to, to meet a publisher early on and got published 20 years ago. Oh, okay. Now, you've written a lot of books. 
a lot of books for for our listeners who might want to be a writer or who want to publish more books or just in, just love the the reading stories themselves. How long does it take you to write a young adult novel, and and about how many pages are the stories that you write? So most of my books are for juveniles. I have um, short stories and picture books. I have one novel for young adults. It's about 250 pages. Um, and I, that was a collaboration with another author. And um, I think it took about a year to get it out. Oh, a year. Okay, but that's because you were also working with another. So you're not one of these writers who – some writers it really impress me. They come out with a new book every month or every other month. I just I, and I yeah. cannot figure out how they do that. But they they do, which is pretty amazing. Now is the bridge of the golden wood. This is one of your books for our listeners. Mm-hmm. If you go over to again uh, Carl's website, which is premiobooks.com, you can see some of the many stories that he does write and or publish. So is the bridge of the golden wood. Is this your newest book, and what's if, what's the inspiration behind this story? So it's not my newest book. I think that came out about four years ago. But it's just a little folk tale that came to me um, basically to teach kids how to earn a living, um, just so people could understand the concepts of um, exchange of goods and services and, and how important it is to be observant and see where people have needs and help them. Even even if you don't get compensated, it will give you experience, it will give you ideas, and it will give you skills. Uh, so you deal. So this book deals more with. Um, well, let me let me ask you the next question. Can you give us? You talked a little briefly about it, but can you go a little bit more in depth and give us sure. a little bit of an overview of the bridge of the Goldenwood? Would sure. somebody would be interested in to know more about what's actually in the book. Okay. It's a story of an Asian boy who is very good at solving problems. He's, um, he always walks around with a bag of tools with him um, because he likes to find things to fix and, um, and make life better for people, help them out with, with things that are broken. And he's walking through the, the golden wood near his home, uh, near a little river, and he sees an old woman on the bank of the river, and she's staring into the water intently, and he asks her what she's looking at, and she says, trouble and treasure. And he says, what do you mean? And she says, the fish in this stream are trapped. They're blocked by some branches that fell down in the last storm, and they can't get out to feed. If you help them, there'll be a reward for you. And then she disappeared. And the boy looked and looked, couldn't find her, but he thought, well, I can, I can help these fish. So he bundles up, he gathers up the branches that had fallen into the stream, and he ties them with a rope that he carries in his, in his sack or that he has with him and um, gets them all together in one big, long group of branches, and it just happens to look like a bridge. Anyway, the fish are free to go food. Yeah, the fish are freed to get out and feed, and a man who's walking in the forest in the woods also says, I'll give you some money if you let me cross your bridge. And he says, oh, you mean this bundle of sticks? Sure. And so soon thereafter, many people are crossing on his bundle of sticks to get across the river, and they're paying him. 
Oh, interesting story. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. The Bridge of the Golden Wood. Yeah. Interesting. So we're, we're, that is a very interesting story. What did this, you said like when you started writing in journalism, these mm-hmm. story ideas kept coming. Where did this story idea come from? Very interesting. Uh, it just kind of slowly developed in my mind. I was kind of thinking about how kids need to understand um, the benefits of work, but not just that, but to be observant and to be helpful. And that even, like I said, even if you help someone and they can't reward you, you will still walk away better than you were before with more knowledge, with more understanding, and that will help you in your career. It's a very interesting way to approach Yeah, for and and then what what you really want to do? What type of career do you really want to do? Now, how are you able to use fiction, Carl, to teach young adults fiction? I guess I can see how you're able to use fiction to teach young adults about different careers, specifically different different mm-hmm. careers, including offering valuable details about those careers. How are you able to do that? And what? Why did you decide to write fiction with that focus? Well, I have a lot of different focuses. I have several books that are Spanish-English with a pronunciation guide, but I do have a bunch of books that do cover some careers, like um, Bright Star, Night Star is an astronomy story for anybody who likes stargazing and might want to be an astronomer when they grow up. Or I have Great Cape of Colors, um, which covers a lot of um, outfits or, or cultures that use capes in their, in their dress. And it just happens to expose kids to different cultures, but also some jobs like um, an acrobat or an actor or um, a judge or um, a magician. And so it also exposes them to some careers. Mm, okay. Can you give us an overview of your book? Uh, oh, oh, let me ask you before I go, go into that one. Which career is covered in The Bridge of the Golden Wood? What's the career that's covered in this book? Well, um, I suppose he could be an engineer when he grows up because he, he makes things and fixes things. But the but the concepts of the book are mostly to teach kids to be observant and to look for people who need help or things that need fixing, problems to solve. So give us that shared. Give us an overview of your book, Samuel Selling. Samuel Selling. That's a true story. It's the fourth in a series of books that I have on um, people who immigrated to the United States as children. And Samuel immigrated from South Africa. And um, this was during World War I. His family sold their home, sold their business, and bought tickets on a freighter to get to America. And the day that they bought those tickets, Samuel, who was about 11 years old at the time, got typhoid fever and had to go to the hospital. And, you know, this was a serious disease at the time, and they didn't even know if he would live. And his parents agonized over what they were going to do because because of the war, they weren't sure if they were ever going to get passage across the ocean again. They didn't know if ships would still be allowed very for much longer. And they had just sold everything to buy their tickets. And they prayed and they agonized and they went to the hospital and they said, we don't want to leave you. And he says, no, go. I'll be okay. 
And so his family actually went and um, they left Samuel in the hospital, but they, they had friends there who promised to watch over him and send him as soon as he was well. So this is the true story of what happened to him. So did you actually meet did you actually meet Samuel or, or the man who the book is Yes, I did. He was nuts. my he was my great uncle. <laughs> so my grandmother oh. Yeah, my grandmother was his sister and my grandmother sailed with the family to America without her brother and they never they didn't know if they would ever see him alive again. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay, so you that one you just made into okay. Interesting. We had another guest on last week, and he wrote a book about his parents, and uh, they went through just the trauma, trauma, trauma of, uh, of the Holocaust. And they, his mm. father never would talk about it, but his mother, so he wrote a book. Interesting about that. Did you come to know the the man more as you wrote the story? Did you talk to other family members to get more information yeah. about them or do any research to, 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 to get facts that you shared in the book? Yes. The interesting thing about this book is that um, my other picture books are illustrated, but this book is all um, family photographs. So I spoke with um, the daughter-in-law of this great uncle and other family members and got um, details about his life and his career and his travels. And I collected photographs of him as a child, of his family in South Africa, of um, other events that were in in the United States. And so the whole book is done with vintage photographs of our family. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, and, and that is really, that's something you couldn't get anywhere else. You'd have to get that in Samuel Selling. Now, please introduce us, so we start talking about your, the company, Premio Books. Introduce us to the story of Anna's Prayer. So Anna's Prayer is about my great aunt who immigrated at 10 years old from Sweden and at the time, her family was so poor, um, they couldn't all go together. So Anna and her older sister sailed to uh, the United States and took a train west. But the older sister had a job in Idaho, and Anna um, had a sponsor who was going to take care of her in Utah. So they had to separate. And when Anna arrived at the train station in Utah by herself, There was nobody there to meet her. It was the middle of the night, and the woman that was going to um, take care of her never got the letter. And so Anna couldn't even ask for help because she didn't speak English. She only spoke Swedish. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and her mother said, if you ever come to a place where you're in trouble and nobody understands you, pray because God always understands you. And so she said a prayer, and the book is about what happened after her prayer. It's quite an amazing story. And this this story as well is is not fictional. It's based on real it's a life true story. experience. Four of the immigrant stories are true stories of real kids that immigrated. So so the the young immigrant books that you you write and publish, do they mm-hmm. all generally focus on a certain time period? And if so, why did you choose this time period? Okay, so they um, they start in 1856 um, with a little girl named Agnes who immigrated from Scotland and walked a thousand miles across the plains, most of it without shoes. And then it goes to 1888 for Anna's prayer and her sister's story. Her sister's story is Ida's witness. 
and then it goes up to 1912 where Samuel Sailing takes place. Oh, and all these people are like relatives. Where, did, where on earth did you get the idea for the Young American Immigrant Book Series? When did this pop in the head? Well, I can't take full credit because I had a publisher approach me and say, do you have any true stories of kids who immigrated, of, of people who immigrated as children? And I said, yeah, my family history is full of those kind of stories. Also, oh, your, your, your publisher came up with the idea. And what age groups do the books that you write, what age group would you say they're for? So I have wordless picture books for the very young, for toddlers, and then I have um, standard picture books for, you know, like preschool to third, fourth grade. And um, I have a, a cookbook for kids, Bad Bananas, so that's for a little bit older, maybe fifth grade. And then I have short stories for middle schoolers, and then I have a Western novel, novel for um, young adults. Okay. And I also have a self-help book <laughs> for adults. <laughs> what, what's, and what is the self-help book? What is that it's on? Called a, it's a, called Abundant Paths, and it talks about um, seeing more than two choices in um, relationships. The relationships help self-help book. Seeing more than two choices. And, and this more than two choices is for a relationship that would be good or get out, get, signs yes. you should get out or signs. <laughs> is it that type of get out or it can be good but there are different choices even if it is meant to be good. Yes, it, so it, it presents different relationship options and, and says that there's more than two and that you should look at many, many options. <laughs> Now, are there plans for you, Carl, to write an adult novel? And if you did write an adult novel, what do you think that book would be about? So I have a box full of um, the writings from my mother. My mother has passed away, but she was working on uh, a novel, kind of a futuristic novel, but it wasn't quite science fiction. It was um I don't know if there's such a genre as historical fiction, but not historical, but future. <laughs> she was right. Yeah, oh. she was working on that, and I was, and I'm looking at um, developing that if I ever get around to it. That sounds with with technology changing as much as it does. You bring up a good point. That was something I had actually thought about. Instead of science fiction, it's like something mm-hmm. in the future, and it's 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 mm-hmm. it, it, it's feels like science fiction because right now you wouldn't think it would could ever happen. But then mm-hmm. you, you kind of think with technology, maybe, you know, this could happen. And then that's a book that in a way could be timeless or definitely last when the yeah. futuristic thing, if it did occur, it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. seem so outlandish anymore. Yeah. So shifting a, away from your books, and you just have so many ideals that bu- seem to bubble up, can you tell us when and why you founded Premio Books? So my very first publisher was just a small local publisher here in Utah. And the day we were going to print my very first book, he passed away. It was, it was sudden and unexpected. And it was quite a shock, of course, for his family and for me. Um, and I knew nothing about publishing at the time. So I... Um, was forced to learn all I could about what I was going to do with this brand new book and how to get it out. And his widow was very gracious and gave me lots of good pointers. And as I say, I mentioned, I worked with one other publisher um, on Anna's prayer 
And then after that, I realized that I had learned enough to start my own company, and um, that's when I started Premio Publishing about 19 years ago. Oh, my goodness. So, so tell us about those early days. Things were very different back then. You had to have mm-hmm. – how did you find printers to work with? I mean, low-cost mm-hmm. printers, the e-books. Were e-books around then? I'm trying to think. Were e-books um, out then? Then? They may have been, but I wasn't aware of them for another 10 years. It was it was 2011 before I actually got my books out as e-books. So what were those early days like for you? I mean, you were you, you, you learned a lot from the other publisher, but this was the first time you were actually doing it yourself. Right. I learned um, that regardless of whether you're self-published or traditionally published, you as the author are have the primary responsibility of marketing your book because you're the expert on it. And so, um, and marketing is really the challenge. Of course, um, I, I would hope that anyone who considers themselves a writer already has ideas, you know, plenty of ideas. <laughs> so the real challenge is to get the book known, get it out in front of people. And, um, yeah, I've used printers in Asia because they're less expensive than printers in the United States. But um, lately, we have been um, using print-on-demand. Amazon has a company called KDP, no, KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. And you just upload files, and the book doesn't exist until a customer clicks on it, and then it prints and ships directly to the customer, and you don't touch it, but you get a payment, you get a royalty. So I use Amazon, and then I also use Ingram for the same print-on-demand for hardcovers. Okay. Is there a reason for our listeners who've done, and I'm familiar with KDP and Ingram, but for our listeners who aren't, is there a reason why you went the print route with KDP and the hardcover route with Ingram? Well, originally KDP didn't offer hardcovers. They do now. But also, um, just to tell you why I use print on demand instead of a regular printer, is um, it's convenient. It's more expensive, but I don't have a garage full of books anymore, which is nice. I don't have to store books. Um, but, yeah, KDP was the first to offer it. Um, as far as I know, for, for paperback, and then Ingram offered it for hardcovers before KDP ever did. So I'm still with both companies. Do you do you publish works by other authors, or do Premier Books do you only publish books that you write? So I've published um, books by one other author, Ransom Wilcox, and then I also distribute books by two, let me see, three other authors um, presently, yeah. So I'm kind of a distributor <laughs> for the other authors. How does that process work for anybody listening? I'm thinking, again, Smashwords just got bought out, bought out not too long ago, but I'm right. thinking uh, some of them are wholesalers, but you think Amazon, Ingram, whether you go through Barnes & Noble, Kobo for eBooks, how yeah. how does what you do as a distributor how how is that different? Baker and Taylor, I think they might be a wholesaler yeah. more. But yeah. how how does the services you offer? It's interesting because the big publishing houses used to have all of the credibility. They had all the prestige and they had it seemed a monopoly on distribution as well. But nowadays anyone, just about anyone, has access to Follett and Baker and Taylor and Ingram and Brodart. And these are wholesalers, and you don't have to be a big publishing house to make an agreement with these companies, and they will um, put your books in their catalog for schools and libraries and, and stores. 
and so and so for for an author who's either really busy, if an author wanted to, and do you have any plans? You may not to take on more authors. So if an author said they wanted to come to you, do you do, offer these services through Premio Books? They can get it edited, published, and distributed so we, through you. Or do you offer that broader range of service, services, or do you plan to in the future? Currently, we don't because we have so many projects of our own to get out, but we have um, always been open to um, illustrator portfolios. So illustrators um, can send us a link to their portfolio um, because, as I say, many of our books are picture books. Okay. Now, one thing when I was doing the research and I found premiobooks.com was how diverse your characters are. Now, you told us you have the American Immigrant book series, and you have also other books. And then the books on the careers that are there, and then uh, books that really focus on encouraging kids to help others. Have you, uh, from the standpoint of diverse characters, had you always focused on creating books with diverse characters, and if so, why? Yes, because, like I say, growing up in a cosmopolitan place like Silicon Valley, when I would pick up a kid's book as a child, at least, it seemed to me that all the characters were white. And I thought, well, this doesn't reflect the world as it is. And so I thought very young, at a young age, I thought if I ever publish a kid's book, I'm going to make sure it shows characters from all over because that's what the world looks like, you know. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you, especially whether it's through the careers or what. It, do, it does. And I think it, it, it everything – in the whole, this whole world is the from animals to plants to this. It's no one thing, uh, so that mm-hmm. that is good. Um, now, do you work with schools? We talked about very briefly the the distribution, Broad Art, Baker and Taylor, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Do you work with schools because your books do focus on with young people? Uh, do you work with schools, especially with the books that you write have written that focus on careers? Is a lot of your work with schools? Yes, um, uh, mostly before COVID. Since COVID, I haven't done a lot of school visits, but um, I've gone in and read my books in different schools. And, and uh, one school district here in Utah has used uh, Crumbs on the Stairs, a bilingual book, Spanish, you know, people who, for learning Spanish or English because it has a pronunciation guide for both. And then um, The Bridge of the Golden Wood was picked up by Vermont, the state of Vermont, for teaching finance and careers. And then Grow um, – One of my later books is called Grow, How We Get Food from Our Garden, and that has been used by the Georgia Farm Bureau and also by Oregon Agriculture in the Classroom Organization. Kudos to you. Now, how? what was the process you went through to actually – and I know another writer who got got her books in schools. She said it was a lot of work just being tenacious Mm -hmm. and persistent and just not giving up. What was that right. process like for you getting your books in schools? It really is a lot of work. <laughs> it is <laughs> because um, there's no one central clearinghouse for schools. You can't just email one email address and say, here are my books, put them in all the schools in the world. There's just no place you can do that. <laughs> so it's a matter of getting contact information for individual schools and sometimes individual teachers and then sending them information and following up. So it is a lot of work. Yeah, but you, I think when it pays off, like when a if you get in statewide, like you said, I can only mm-hmm. imagine because she did say the payoff 
was was it can be it can be sizable, but she said it took her years just not quitting, keep knocking, 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 and then she got in a, in a, into a few. So that's that's for our off the shelf listeners who are also also authors and published your books. If you think mm-hmm. they can speak to a certain audience. To our listeners, you just have to be tenacious. There's an author I know who came out with Satin Doll years ago from Philadelphia. It was a, a work mm-hmm. of fiction, and she just kept going back to the Barnes and Noble in Philadelphia over and over to carry her book over and over and over. And this is be- when self-published books were pretty much frowned upon. But she right. and then finally her book sales took off. She was posting flyers everywhere, and then Barnes and Noble asked her how they could get her book in. And she, that book made the New York Times, the New York Times bestseller list, but she was just tenacious. She refused. She said she had put her life savings into that book, and she had to make it work, so she would not back off. Now, from good the for start, you. yes, it, it, it takes work, and good for you, getting your books, getting your books <laughs> in, in, into these different schools. And, the, and the, you know, before I ask the next question, was that your concept when you started the, the subjects of the books you wrote, to think you wanted to write something that could really have legs, you could get it in the schools or different organizations, mm-hmm. pick it up. Was that the concept, or was that something that just kind of happened? Well, um, typically the stories just come to me as ideas first. Then, yes, I always try to um, – well, I think most adults have had the bad experience of reading a boring book to a child. And that's, that's torturous to read a, a book to a child that's just boring. <laughs> so even if I'm even if I'm trying to teach something, whether it's math or Spanish or careers, I my primary idea is to entertain first, and then if they happen to learn something, wonderful. But I think they'll pay attention more if they're being entertained. And also adults, I try to put things in that will be entertaining for adults, so that the adult isn't bored <laughs> with the book. And then hopefully that will make it saleable to um, yeah teachers, parents, librarians. You make you know you just made a good point. Even though the story is for the child, it, it, uh, it's the adult who's buying the book. So especially if it's, yeah. a, it's for a young reader that a, a parent is going to read the book to the child or read with the child, you better make sure when the kid's interested, but that you can yeah. keep the parent's attention so they can start some word of mouth talking to their friends about, you should really get this book. Now, mm-hmm. from, the, from the start, had you planned to write multiple books? You've written so many books at premiobooks.com. Had you planned to write, and you said the ideas just come, had you planned to write a lot of books, turning your creative work into a business? Was that the plan, or were you just going to work another full-time job and do this on the side? Or were you always planning to turn this into a full-time work? You know, I wasn't planning on doing this full-time. I am now. But, um, yeah, it just kind of evolved slowly over time as I would get more books out and learn more about the industry. Um, I Yeah, I, I can't remember when, when I last had a day job. Let's see, 2009 my day job now. I teach, I teach a media class at night at a state college, and that's fun to share what I've learned with students. But, um, yeah, it was never my goal, but it's been a fun career. How long did it take you to turn it into full-time? How long was that? About 10 years. And even then, I couldn't have supported a family 10 years into it. It was more years before the income started to come. 
you know, I've, I've watched these YouTube shows, and I've heard so many people who've gone on to do quite well. They say it took mm-hmm. them years, and they say don't don't give up. Keep this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. <laughs> yeah. Just keep going, and eventually you should start to see. Keep writing and publishing those good books. Keep marketing and promoting. Be tenacious. Be persistent. And it may take a few years, but you should start to see things. Get, the sales picking up, the income picking up. If you're doing mm-hmm. it right, you should start to see uh, some change. Now, Carl, we yeah. were talking a little bit about the futuristic, but you said your mother wrote one. You're, you're thinking about working on that. Thinking about the yeah. future, we think technology, AI. I'm thinking of, with the Chad GBT and these other AI yeah. programs that can literally write a, a paragraph within seconds. How has technology at Premio Books, changed the way that you write and market books. How has it changed and affected you over at Premio Books? Boy, it sure has changed a lot in my lifetime. Um, yeah, self-publishing is no longer frowned on like it used to be. You can, um, you still need a, a human editor. No matter how good of a writer you are, you should always pay a professional editor to make sure that your book is as good as it can be. But the technology has, has allowed um, printing to change and become much more convenient, as we mentioned, print on demand. Also, ebooks. you know, my books were kind of slumping in 2010, and then in 2011 I published them all as ebooks, and all my sales increased once I made mm. the e-books. Mm-hmm. And then audiobooks. I have, yeah, I have an audiobook of my Western novel, and I just finished recording my self-help book as an audiobook, and those are really popular. Audiobooks are, are very popular these days. So there's do lots you, of options. Do you recommend uh, audiobooks? If you get pay someone else to do the audio, I'm told it can be quite expensive. Do you do you, do you recommend doing it yourself, going through somebody else? And if you do it yourself, are there certain types of equipment that you would say is a must-have if you're going to record your own audiobook? Sure. So I've done it both ways. I paid an actor to do my Western novel. Um, and that only cost me, I think, five hundred dollars wow. to record that. I'm, I'm I'm wondering if the rates have changed in the last few years. If they're higher now, probably. But then the self-help book, since so much of what I put in this relationships book is about what I've learned in my own relationships, I decided that I would record it myself. So yeah, and then yeah, you just want to have a good microphone, and um, software is there's a there's software that's even free called Audacity where you can record your book. You'll probably want a sound engineer to help you get it to sound well and to get, remove noise and things like that. Okay. Now, what have readers been saying about the books at Premio Books? What kind of feedback have you been getting uh, from readers on your different books? Oh, it's so fun to get feedback. Um, I've had great reviews from Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and School Library Journal and the Hornbook, but really the, my probably my favorite review is um, when you when I walk into a school and I have bad bananas in my hand and a kid says, bad bananas, I love that book. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing more gratifying. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness, yeah. just to know you come into school, they've already read it. And they're familiar yeah. with it, and they and they and they love the book. What tips, as we come down to a little less than ten minutes in today's show, what tips can you share with our listeners who are who are thinking about starting 
part a part of full time book publishing writing business. You said it took you ten years, and like I was saying earlier, other people who become quite successful. Some people they, this is the first book out, but I would say that's mm-hmm. rare. Uh, yeah. What advice would you what what tips can you share with somebody? Some people think they're going to take off right away and they just quit their job and then they're, they've learned yeah. some hard lessons. What advice would you give somebody looking to do this part-time or full-time? Yeah, so the average author does not make a living off of their books. The average author has a day job. But um, what I would say, two of the most important things, one's for writing and one is for marketing. The writing part, I say, Put yourself in the chair every day at the same time, even if it's just for 10 minutes. Get into the chair to write every day at the same time, and over time you will have your book done. And then the other part is the marketing, and that is if you feel that you have a good product, a good book, and you've had it professionally edited and a good cover, then never stop marketing it. Always market your books as if they're brand new. My very first book is still selling well, and it's because I've never stopped marketing it. Marketing it. That is great advice because uh, I still I still market my uh, back my my older books as well. And another thing you'll find as you keep writing and publishing new books, and you get better and better as a as a writer, y- your new books will attract new readers, and they may buy some mm-hmm. of your older books as well. So I I mm-hmm. that's one thing I would say of being self published that may be good. You can still Keep promoting your older books, whereas a book publisher might stop because they've got they've got new authors coming on. I mean, a traditional book yeah. publisher they've got new authors coming on, so they might not always get behind your books uh, uh, and keep publishing and promoting and marketing them. What is the writing process? You've written a lot of books. You say you're not really taking on new authors now because you still got a lot of your own work you want to get out there. What writing process do you follow? I know you said sit down every day at the same time every day, but do you use character mm-hmm. sketches, outlines? How do you actually develop a story? So usually they come to me on their own. I, I get attacked by a story idea, and I have to scribble it down or it won't leave me alone. But um, I don't know if you've heard of pantsers and plotters. A pantser is someone who will write, sit down and just write the story from beginning to end. And a plotter is someone who does an outline. And they plan, you know, okay, this is going to be the middle. This is what, what the ending is going to look like. I'm kind of in between. I like to be, I like to have an idea of where I'm going, but I also will sometimes just sit down and write a story. And, and yeah, I, I tend to be more of a sit down, write a story, but at some point, whether it's the second draft, I do find myself doing some plotting to make sure everything's tight. And if not, yeah. the editor will come back with some feedback on, on that. Yeah. There's the benefits. There's benefits in both. I think sitting down and writing, you can get more of a juice out of the story maybe. The uh-huh. plotting, you might not have to do as many rewrites with the plot if you outline it in it. In in advance, and some writers swear by the plotting, and some by the just sit down and start and start writing. Now, yeah. can you share three to four steps? You, you mentioned marketing, and that you keep marketing your books, and your first book still sells well. Can you share three to four steps that you have taken, Carl, that you have found for you to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Sure. Um, old-fashioned email lists are still worthwhile. Email your target audience. 
collect emails on your website. You know, offer a free ebook in exchange for someone's email address. So email, um, old-fashioned press releases also are great because you get free publicity. If a, if a reporter picks up your press release or does an interview of you, that's free advertising for you. And then um, social media, of course. And then um, I'm doing Amazon ads now. Um, it was very difficult to make those profitable, but I finally had a, had a place where my Amazon ads are profitable. Oh, awesome. <laughs> they all work. And if you ever do Amazon ads, and I do think they're effective, you I would take their training first, and then I would start slow, working with them slowly. I wouldn't think that if you just because you spent a lot of money, you're going to get a lot of book sales. I would start mm-hmm. really slow because you're going to have to constantly change them maybe every two weeks to every month just to keep them yeah. working and being effective. Now, as we come to starting to come to a close with today's show, Carl, can you are you working on any other new books? And if so, can you give us a glimpse? into what you're working on. So I, I just finished recording the audio version of Abundant Paths. Um, and actually it's going gonna, it's gonna to um, have a different title. It's uh, God Adores You. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to do some more short stories. And I'm going to do um, a couple more picture books. Just need to have them illustrated. And then I'm going to work on, um, yeah, perhaps this novel that my mom started. Oh, you got a lot. You've got a lot going on. Where can off-the-shelf listeners get a copy of your books that you've already published? So probably the easiest thing to do is Google Carl Beckstrand, Carl with a K. But, um, yes, on Premio Books, Amazon, Walmart, Target websites. And do you have any upcoming uh, speaking engagements, Carl? And if so, can you tell our listeners where they might be able to find you or listen to you at some other upcoming speaking engagements that you have? Well, I I know I do. I've recorded some other podcasts, so um, I just don't know the release dates. <laughs> but, yeah, if you if you search my name, Carl Beckstrand, you'll find books and podcasts, things you can hear me speak about publishing or other topics. Okay, and lastly, where can people find you if you're on social media? Where where can they find you, and what are some of your handles if people want to connect with you on social media? Sure. Um, Carl Beckstrand on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Um, on Twitter, it's Premio Books. Um, yeah, those are the big ones. Okay. We are very grateful and for his graciousness and flexibility. Had to reschedule this from our our, our standing 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time off-the-shelf show to 6 p.m. with Carl Beckstrand, and he has written uh, several, like, juvenile books, and he's working on maybe a novel uh, that may, a futuristic novel his mom was starting to write that may come out into the future, but he's written well authored and or illustrated over 27 books and over 60, uh, more than 60 ebooks. You can find Carl Beckstrand, B E C K S T R A N D. The last part of his name is spelled just like that big bookstore in New York, Carl Beckstrand. And his uh, website is Premio Books, P R E M I O B O O K S dot com. Again, that's P R E M I O B O O K S dot com. And I really encourage you. He's got the American Immigrant Book Series. He's got books on careers, and he focuses on diverse 
diverse characters in his book. He's doing this full time, you guys. So an inspiration for people who are looking to do that. Want to thank you, Carl, for being here with us on Off the Shelf and for the reschedule at six. Thank you for your for your graciousness and your flexibility. And to our listeners, we'll see you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And remember, as I always tell you, you're awesome. You're fabulous. You are amazing. I I wish you a wonderful, wonderful evening. Carl, I'll send you a a link to the show when it finishes streaming. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye.